Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Atlanta Business Radio. Brought to you by OnPay, Atlanta's new standard in payroll. Now, here's your host. Lee Cantor here, another episode of Atlanta Business Radio, and this is going to be a good one. But before we get started, it's important to recognize our sponsor, OnPay. Without them, we couldn't be sharing these important stories. Today on Atlanta Business Radio, we have Jasmine Young with the Financial Literacy Institute. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm excited to learn what you're up to. Tell us about the Financial Literacy Institute. How are you serving folks? Absolutely. So the Financial Literacy Institute um, is a 501c3 that I founded to basically provide educational courses, uh, programs and resources to underprivileged and underrepresented communities to help them become more financially literate and to combat financial instability. So what was the genesis of the idea? What made you uh, get involved with this? I actually started having a passion for financial literacy back in high school when one of my peers made a comment to me that she thought that I was fed with a silver spoon. Um, And I didn't think that parents grew up poor. So they actually uh, created a life for my brother and I to where we didn't have to live the life that they lived. And they gave us a very basic understanding of what it means to be a financially literate and responsible adult. And I wanted to be the resource that my peers and their families needed. So that's how it was born. So when you have this idea of improving financial literacy, the nuts and bolts of it, you have to decide who do I want to help first, right? Because there's so many people in need. Did you decide to help, you know, young people, maybe older people? Like, how did you decide how to create kind of information for for the group that's important to you? So we actually create courses for all ages, simply because when you look at African-Americans and the wealth gap, it's been widening since the demise of Black Wall Street. So we decided that, you know, it's important for us to create resources for all ages, kids, adults, as well as teenagers, so that we can make sure that the information is being recycled And it is being discussed with all ages because in the African-American community, unfortunately, we don't really talk about financial literacy. And a lot of times people learn about financial literacy through their mistakes. So that's why we didn't want to just deal with adults. We wanted to talk to kids as well because we want to get that information into them as early as possible so that we can continue a better cycle of being financially literate. So what's an example of way you serve kind of young people when it comes to financial literacy? So we actually go into the schools. We've done a couple of schools here in Atlanta where we actually put together courses about financial literacy. For example, we did a budgeting course. And for the small kids, we actually teach them how to count money. We teach them how to save. We give them a choice of, do you want to use your money to buy candy or would you rather save your money for college? And we start teaching them early concepts like that to kind of get them acclimated to what financial literacy is and how, yes, money is important, but the, the bigger picture of that is being a financially responsible adult. Now, um, When you started doing this, when did you realize, hey, we have something here. This is going to really make a big impact. Um, I would say, well, we started it during COVID 
Um, and we started just sharing information on social media and just doing like $5 classes and the classes were constantly booked. And that's when we realized that, hey, you know, people really do care about this. Of course, everyone was at home during that time, quarantining. So social media was kind of the uh, outlet for a lot of people. And we realized that people were not just using social media as a way to release, but they were using it as a way to learn. And that's how we figured out, you know what, this is going to be the way for us to get the information to the masses without them even having to leave their homes. So what you you bring up social media as a great way to share information that's important like this, but social media also kind of can create some pressure and expectations for some people and impact how they spend their money and and how they invest their money. Can you talk a little bit about how social media maybe negatively impacts some folks? Absolutely. So what you just mentioned is actually a part of financial trauma. Um, a lot of people do spend their money in ways because they're trying to make up for their lack of things. So they see somebody on social media with a brand new car or a brand new outfit or purse, and it pressures them into going to buy things that they really don't have the money to spend. Um, and that's one of the negative con- connotations, not just of social media, um, but just of being financially literate and responsible altogether. Um, a lot of people don't realize that financial literacy is 50% application. And the other 50% is uh, psychological. Like, why do you spend the, spend your money the way you spend it? What are you spending it on? And what's the purpose of that? And I tell people all the time, the one way to become financially literate is to address that trauma. So social media actually weighs heavily on a lot of the spending decisions that most Americans make. Do they even realize that though? They don't realize it um, because they've done it for so long. Hence the reason why we call it financial trauma. A lot of people don't realize that they're operating out of that and not because, um, of any other reason. Uh, so we like to point that trauma out to people talk about that trauma and then provide them ways to get out of that habit. So what's an example of a way that somebody could cut down on some of their social media uh, so they're not kind of being hypnotized by some of these negative influences? I always tell people um, to monitor who it is you're getting this information from, because a lot of, a lot of these, um, pages on social media a lot of people give out financial advice and they're not necessarily financial advisors or cpas so a lot of the information is sensationalized so i always tell people to you know limit those those types of accounts that you're following where people are giving you sensationalized information and they're not really giving you the entire story so just limiting those um those sensationalized uh social media accounts Um, can help as well. And then also surround yourself with people who are working through their financial trauma. So if you're, you you know, you're used to going out with people who like to spend money, it's Friday, they just got paid, they want to go to the mall, you may want to change your group of friends to people who don't necessarily do that every weekend. So it's little things that we really don't pay attention to that can have a big effect on how we actually spend our money um, and how it affects our financial wellness as a whole. And your background is one of a CPA, right? That is correct. I am a CPA. So you've seen this stuff firsthand. You've seen what works and what doesn't work firsthand. Absolutely. Now, and some of the, you mentioned a lot of education is part of your work, but uh, you create events as well? 
we do do events. So our events uh, basically stem from the programs that we put together to um, provide people with things that we do in the community outside of the courses to get them even interested in financial literacy. It's such a, a saturated topic. Um, a sensationalized topic as well. So we want to make sure that people actually see what it is we're doing and get interested in that um, versus just being on the bandwagon of, oh, they're talking about financial literacy. Now, in your work, do you have a niche that you serve or you pretty much are a CPA for any any type of uh, client? So we actually uh, provide service to the professional services. So, of course, your doctors, your lawyers. Uh, we do the logistics industry and the sports entertainment and film industry. Now, how did you decide upon those groups to serve? Because a lot of people think, oh, I'm a CPA. I'll serve everybody because everybody is needs my work. Um, but you decided to create niches. Why was that important? Um, I think it's important. Well, number one, because... The accounting industry is so large. No one can serve everybody. So it was important to find an area um, that I was comfortable in, that I was familiar with it, that I was interested in, um, in order to provide those services. So the logistics industry, I actually grew up in that industry as a kid because my my uncles and cousins were all truck drivers. So I was very familiar with how the industry worked with professional services. Um, of course, I'm a CPA being in professional service. I know what types of uh, accounting solutions a professional service person may need. So that made it easier to go that route. And then with the sports and entertainment industry, because I realized that financial literacy um, is lacking in that specific industry, that is what made me choose that industry as well. And you bring up an interesting point. Um, people think that uh, people in sports and entertainment who make lots and lots of money already figured a lot of this out, but a lot of them haven't figured it out and have Absolutely. some bad bad habits, right, that can really hurt them. There's a, a large percentage of professional athletes that have filed bankruptcy. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's the very reason why we, we chose it, because if you don't realize it, a lot of those people are acting out of financial trauma as well. They buy a lot of things to fit in with other celebrities and people in the industry, and they don't realize that they're shooting themselves in the foot by their spending habits as well. And sometimes, unfortunately, they do get to a point where they have to file bankruptcy or they lose everything that they have. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I picked the pick that industry is because I wanted to be able to help those people keep their money. Now, as part of somebody's uh, financial literacy, where does kind of real estate and owning a home fit in or does it? It does. So so real estate is actually a, a part of uh, asset management and asset protection. And what people don't realize is re buying real estate is actually a way that you can kind of become your own bank. For example, right now in the housing market, uh, homes are appreciating in value, which means that it's creating equity. So your home will, is able to build money that you could be able to access versus going to a bank and getting another loan. So um, I always tell people anything that causes you to generate revenue, accumulate revenue, something that appreciates in value 
is part of financial literacy. So, of course, buying real estate, whether it's your home or if you're investing in properties, those things help create wealth as well because those things continue to create, uh, generate money over time. So it definitely falls into the financial literacy aspect. Now, when you're recommending things like uh, buying a home or investing in real estate, uh, when a person says, well, that sounds great, but I don't have any money, I'm kind of living paycheck to paycheck. Are there some strategies you can share to help that person? Or is it, you know, is that just they're going to be left behind? So the first thing we always recommend for someone who's who wants to buy a home is start start with the basics of financial literacy, which is budgeting. We go and look at your budget and see how much money you're making, how much disposable income you have. That way we can see if you can start saving for a down payment for a home or if there are ways that you are using your money that's not helping you get closer to becoming a a homeowner. We start to do those things um, in the budgeting process to help get you on track. And then, of course, we look at your your credit as well to see, you know, what could you possibly afford? Do you have the credit score to afford you a home? Of course, there's first time home buyer programs out there that we also look into. So there's a way for everyone. Now, of course, everyone won't be able to afford the same size home or the same price home, if you will. But. Home ownership can be for everybody. So, and and it doesn't require just you know never spending a dollar. It it just requires kind of understanding, right? You but you have to understand where the money's coming and going from, so you can make choices because every choice has a trade off, right? You can I can buy you know, go out to dinner every night, or I can save for a down payment for a house. You know, I can make that choice. That is correct. And um, when you're working with folks, are you just kind of telling them this information or is there a way to kind of help them when they get, you know, frustrated or they have questions or they need kind of a little more guidance and coaching? Yeah. So we actually coach them through the entire process. We review their bank statements to see what they're spending money on. We then provide them a budget based off of what we've seen in that analysis. And then we do check-ins with them on a consistent basis to see how they're measuring up to the budgets we we created um, and just provide them advice and just an advisor along the way um, to help them get through it. Like I said, we can get Financial literacy is 50% application, but the other 50% is psychological. And that's something that no one can can fix for you but you. You have to have the discipline and the will to want to meet the goal that you're trying to meet. And today's world where there's so many online subscriptions, there's people that are spending hundreds of dollars a month just on things they're probably not even using anymore that they signed up for months ago. Absolutely. And that's one of the go-tos that we always see. Um, when we're doing a financial analysis is how many subscriptions do they have? And then we total those up and show them to them. And, and you're right. People are spending hundreds of dollars a month um, on subscriptions that they don't even use. Yeah. Well, it's so important to have information and good information so you can make informed decisions because you got to, especially young people, have to take advantage of the power of compounding. I mean, that is Absolutely. that is the magic. And the sooner you get going, and it doesn't matter the amount when you start, just get in the habit of saving. That will pay dividends. Your future you will appreciate your present you if you can get that right. Absolutely. I definitely agree. Well, if somebody wants to connect with you and learn more about what you got going on, what's the website? What's the best way to do it? 
Absolutely. So you can go to tflinc.org. That's T for the Financial Literacy Institute. So tflinc.org. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story. You're doing such important work and we appreciate you. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. All right. This is Lee Cantor. We'll see you all next time on Atlanta Business Radio. Thank you.